but yeah, let's let's get started, everyone. Um, good evening, and thank you so much for joining us for this fourth conversation on our series, Theologies of Transformation and Actions for Justice. Uh, Michael, Lisa, Joe, Bobby, so glad you could uh, join us this evening for this conversation. Um, in similar format to the other conversations, we'll um, have a brief reflection from a panelist followed by group discussion for really the, the majority of, of the evening. Um, but we do uh, really appreciate these reflections to get us going. And um, this evening, the reflection comes from uh, the Reverend Dr. Sidmon, my uh, colleague and co-director at Interfaith Action, uh, who has uh, a lot to say on this topic of human rights and justice. Uh, for 35 years, he served as the president of uh, the global and human rights organization, Heartland Alliance for Human Needs and Human Rights, and provided leadership in areas of poverty, migration, social marginalization, healthcare housing, and trauma and torture. Um, Sid is also an ordained clergy in the United Church of Christ and professed in the Order of Ecumenical Franciscans. And Sid, it, be, before we get started, if it's all right with you, I'm going to share this principle and, and read it for us. Okay, um, good. Here we are. So, um, so tonight we're talking about principle three uh, out of our 10 interfaith action principles. And this uh, principle says that our encounter with others necessitates multifaceted commitments to ensure human rights and justice. These interconnected commitments seek to ensure individual human rights, community rights, and environmental justice, providing shared conditions and resources that equip every individual and all of creation to flourish, particularly the poor, the vulnerable, and the excluded, and those species that are endangered. So Sid, thank you so much for um, being willing to uh, share your evening with us and giving us this reflection on human rights and justice. Great, um, uh, good to be able to share with you. And uh, tonight's session really builds on last month's session in which uh, Bobby Gaunt uh, guided us in thinking about our principle of tenderness. And I think uh, tenderness and justice are the two core pillars uh, on, on which uh, our work as communities of faith is based. Uh, uh, tenderness, as, as Bobby uh, clarified, is a, a contemporary and, and perhaps more clarifying uh, term than our familiar term used in many holy writings of, of mercy because tenderness uh, communicates that it's uh, a connection of our dignity as human beings, which really ties us uh, one to each other. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, the, the greeting of namaste or uh, the holy in me greets the holy in you. And that is a kind of critical uh, first pillar, uh, that pillar of uh, kind of uh, tenderness of human connection. But then that leads us uh, to tonight's reflection. Uh, the second uh, pillar is that of uh, justice or, or that of uh, human rights. Um, in secular terminology, uh, the concepts of human dignity and human rights as being inextricably linked uh, has provided the foundation for uh, international uh, human rights work as well as uh, regional uh, human rights work uh, around the globe. So from our perspective as faith communities, we talk about tenderness and uh, justice. In uh, secular environments, we talk about human dignity and uh, human rights. I think uh, a few examples of how justice is grounded in our holy writings. Um, in the Jewish uh, scriptures, I think uh, 
uh, many of us uh, can quickly recall that powerful uh, verse of uh, love mercy or <laughs> love tenderness, uh, do justice and walk humbly with God. And then that uh, second uh, Jewish scriptural passage of let justice roll down like mighty waters, a uh, powerful image. Uh, in Christian uh, writings, uh, we often think of the profound uh, chapter 25 in Matthew, which talks about uh, uh, when we relate to those who are hungry or those who are strangers or those who are imprisoned, et cetera, we are relating uh, to, to God. And therefore, our actions of justice are actions uh, uh, directly related uh, to our worship of the divine. And in uh, Muslim uh, uh, holy writings in the Quran, uh, there's just this kind of very simple uh, in your face statement stand up for justice. So we can see that in uh, holy writings, uh, the, the concept of justice is equally placed uh, with uh, the concept of uh, mercy or uh, tenderness. Uh, Stephen, if uh, you would show the image which I found from uh, US Catholic uh, Conference of Bishops, which I think portrays uh, this interplay, this necessary balancing of justice and tenderness. And many times we understand uh, our work of tenderness as the work of uh, charity. Uh, and I, as I look at our faith communities that uh, are engaged with interfaith action, I continue to marvel at the manifold ministries around providing charity uh, to those in need. Uh, the volunteer programs, uh, tutoring programs, direct assistance of uh, food and clothing and, and diapers and on and on and on. Uh, so I think we can be assured that our faith communities have kind of grasped uh, the work of charity as critical uh, to our faith uh, traditions and our faith mandates. What has been somewhat lacking uh, because of uh, dearth of resources is the commitment uh, to justice. Uh, some theologians would say that un unless we have an equal commitment to charity and justice, we are, only, we are not fulfilling the totality of our faith-based uh, accountabilities. Uh, this is one of the unique roles, I think, that Interfaith Action has been able to provide to our engaged faith communities is on their behalf to ensure that this uh, other foot of social justice is a part of uh, our faith-based uh, walk. Um, sometimes uh, folks talk about this uh, interplay between charity and justice using the image of uh, uh, bodies floating down a stream and charity is the work of pulling those uh, bodies who are in the stream of uh, 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 oppression or the stream of uh, dire poverty, uh, pulling them to the shore so that they don't uh, drown in the plight in which they find themselves. Uh, so uh, pulling uh, those uh, harmed individuals to the shore to rescue them is the work of charity. The work of justice is the work that prevents bodies from being thrown into the stream of 
uh, oppression or despair or destitution and changes the structures uh, that place folks in that deplorable uh, stream. Um, there is a Jewish concept called uh, tzedakah, uh, which is loosely translated as charity seeking justice. Charity not as an end unto itself. And I think this uh, image from uh, the US Catholic Conference of Bishops uh, illustrates that uh, 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 in a very uh, poignant uh, way that our works of charity must be accompanied by our works of uh, justice. Uh, let me talk a little bit about the difference between justice and the law. Uh, justice is, from my understanding, the higher ideal. I think we're all familiar that uh, some of the laws that uh, we have uh, are just laws. And there are laws that are unjust. And uh, many of us over the years have advocated uh, against uh, unjust laws. So when we talk about our commitment to the rule of law, we as people of faith uh, have a very important footnote is uh, we advance the rule of law as that rule of law is uh, just. Uh, I think there's often understood as this uh, continuum from kind of uh, autocracy to justice, uh, which is uh, the ruler as the law to the law as ruler to justice as ruler. Uh, or I think uh, Rex Lexus, uh, Lexus Rex or Justice Rex uh, that uh, uh, understanding in, in some country situations uh, of totalitarianism, the ruler is the law. We in democratic societies understand that the law is our ruler and we as faith communities understand that uh, justice, holy justice, uh, is our ruler. I think our, 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 our scriptures, as uh, I've referenced earlier, uh, give us many concrete examples of what justice looks like. Uh, it uh, entails welcoming the stranger. And in the Jewish scriptures, in fact, the ethic of love in relationship to the stranger or the immigrant is so powerful that the Jewish scriptures reference, you should love your family with the same degree of love that you have for the stranger and the immigrant. Uh, so the model of love is primary, primarily the model of love for the foreigner, the migrant, the stranger. And given that ideal of love, we should also extend it to our family. So a turnabout on kind of traditional ethical uh, understandings. Uh, again, holy writings go on to talk about, you know, uh, care for poor, uh, preservation of the holy gift of creation, uh, on and on and on. Uh, so from a, 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 a holy writings uh, perspective, many examples of what justice looks like for communities of faith. Uh, within the, the secular realm, uh, 
the body of human rights commitments also provides clarifying guidance uh, to us to understand uh, how human dignity through the provision of human rights uh, can be advanced uh, in our world. And uh, human rights literature is grouped in on concepts of human dignity, human rights, and human uh, responsibilities. Um, the, the first codification of uh, human rights from a secular perspective was in the uh, International Bill of Rights or the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, uh, which was affirmed in 1948 in the aftermath of World War II, where uh, the global community and US led, US's delegation was led by Eleanor Roosevelt uh, drafted this uh, International Bill of Rights or this Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And, and the body of that bill was divided into two sections, one civil and political rights, and the second section, uh, economic, social, and cultural rights. For a period of time, civil and political rights were understood to be the first generation of rights and economic, social, and cultural rights, uh, the second generation of rights. Uh, as human rights theory developed, it now is understood that civil and political rights are fully equal with economic, social, and cultural rights. There is no division of one right being superior uh, to another. Uh, let me give you a, a few examples of what civil and political rights are. Uh, the right to equality, the right to live uh, free and safely, the right not to be enslaved, the right not to be tortured, the right to a fair trial, the right uh, to live free from persecution. Uh, civil and political rights uh, were signed in the United States by President Carter in 1972. Uh, after their uh, full introduction in 1966. So a, a lengthy period of time before the US uh, uh, signed them. Uh, however, the Senate only ratified those. So they did not come into full force of law until uh, 1992. So for 20 years, uh, the U.S. had not fully ratified civil and political rights. So let's move on to economic, social, and cultural rights. A, a few examples there. Uh, the right to marry, uh, the right to own property, uh, the right to practice a religion of one's choosing, uh, the right to free expression, the right to work for a fair wage, the right to have an adequate standard of living and to have full access to medical care. Uh, the President Carter uh, in, uh, I think in 1977, signed uh, the US's commitment to economic, social and cultural uh, rights However, uh, the Senate has never ratified uh, those rights. And so till the current day, uh, the US is one of the few countries in the world not to have ratified a commitment to economic, social and cultural uh, rights. So what that means is if a case is presented to the Inter-American Court of Human Rights 
accusing the U.S. of, for example, uh, failing to provide an adequate standard of living for all residents of the United States. Uh, the court is not recognized by the U.S. government as having jurisdiction. The U.S. government only recognizes the Inter-American Court of Human Rights as having jurisdiction in matters of civil and political uh, rights. Uh, let me quickly move on because I, I think th this body of international human rights law is very instructive for us as people of faith in understanding how our faith-based commitment to justice uh, is evidenced in uh, in the global system of justice called human rights. Uh, as the body of human rights law has evolved uh, over the years, uh, there have been new international uh, conventions uh, that have uh, been proposed. Uh, international Convention on the Rights of the Child, uh, the Convention on the Elimination of Discrimination Against Women, uh, the Convention on uh, the Rights of uh, Migrant uh, Workers. Um, the, in terms of the International Convention on uh, the Rights of the Child, uh, the U.S. is not a signatory to that convention. Uh, it, uh, is one of two countries that has not uh, signed or ratified uh, the rights of the child. In addition to the United States, the other country is South Sudan. In terms of the Convention for the Elimination of Discrimination Against uh, Women, uh, the US, uh, regrettably, again, is not a signatory nor a ratifier of that uh, convention. We are one of seven countries uh, that has not ratified uh, the Convention Against Discrimination of uh, Women. Uh, some of the other countries are Sudan, Somalia, uh, Iran, and the United States. Um, and then likewise, the Convention on the Rights of Migrant Workers has not been signed uh, or uh, ratified. Um, uh, finally, uh, human rights work is done at an international level, primarily uh, in Geneva, as well as with regional bodies, uh, such as the African Commission on uh, uh, Peoples and Human Rights, uh, the European Commission on Human Rights, which is a part of the Council of Europe, and then the uh, Inter-American uh, Commission of uh, Human Rights, which is a part of the Organization of uh, American States. Uh, the United States, along with, I think, Trinidad and Tobago, uh, Cuba, and uh, the Bahamas are uh, the only countries in the uh, hemisphere of the Americas that do not uh, recognize the jurisdiction of the Inter-American Court of uh, Human Rights and therefore uh, do not file annual reports to the inter-American system to prove up that they are complying with the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So I think uh, US exceptionalism in terms of a significant, significant portion of global and regional human rights uh, work clarifies why communities of faith uh, are important bearers of 
justice, not only in terms of, in our case, US law, but also in our case as uh, faithful global citizens, uh, uh, bringing US law into compliance with uh, what is recognized as an international standard of justice and international uh, standard of uh, human rights. So I hope this gives a, a flavor of how uh, our commitment uh, as people of faith through interfaith action is based on a commitment to tenderness, which initially leads us to works of charity, of affirmation of human dignity, but also leads us to the work of justice. The work of justice is applying our faith-based principles, both in a US context and for U the US to also place its legal understandings of justice in an international uh, human rights framework. Uh, with that, I'll uh, close my uh, comments and look forward to questions and discussion. If it's, um, if no one else has uh, thoughts or reflections at the moment, um, one thing I'm wondering, Sid, is, you know, this this faith principle highlights the essential role of human rights and justice, but it also underscores the essential task of encountering our neighbors. That's in the principle as well. And I'm wondering, what is the role of encountering in meeting our neighbors in the work of human rights and justice? And maybe also just to kind of tease out, I think you also said, um, you know, that charity is always a means to justice. Charity is never an end. So maybe another way of asking that is what is, what is the role of charity um, in, in the work of justice? Um, and that, that, that can be open to the group as well. But um, yeah, I also would like to get your thoughts on that, Sid. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I think... Uh, good illustration of that is where there are hungry people, uh, our, our first response is to provide food to hungry people. But if we stop our efforts with the provision of food, we don't address the systems that are creating hunger. Uh, and uh, therefore, uh, we need to look at uh, uh, what are living wage uh, commitments uh, by governments uh, so that an individual who is working full time should be able to uh, provide uh, for adequate food for uh, his or her family. Uh, uh, to advance uh, the expansion of the child, uh, the federal child tax credit, as was done during the pandemic, which uh, within 45 days lifted 50% of children out of poverty in the United States. And uh, clearly there's a direct correlation between uh, poverty uh, and, and hunger. And uh, so again, uh, how do we connect our encounter with hungry people and our human response to provide for their current state of hunger with preventing hunger uh, in the future? And I think it illustrates how encountering the other should be triggering both charity as well as justice. Well, I think it's about both and, right? Yes, mm -hmm. clearly. And, and 
also, again, you know, we've heard a lot uh, recently about systemic racism. Uh-huh. Well, what we're talking about here is systemic everything. Uh-huh. Uh, in terms of what you were describing, Sid. Well, it, it, it's always a bit disheartening for me whenever I'm making a, a presentation on international uh, human rights conventions and to have to report that the purported leader of the free, free world right. stands with countries like Sudan and Somalia uh, as not being compliant with children's rights or women's rights or migrant worker rights. Uh, so it reminds me of the painstaking and persistent work that we as people of faith in the United States uh, are to be engaged in. Exactly. I mean, those are stunning. I, you know, shame on me for either having forgotten it or not having known it in the first place. I don't know, but I would love um, uh, to, I don't know if you can provide copies of your presentation, your remarks, mm -hmm. include that. But I think that is, that again is naming it and, and using your voice to talk about it and speak up. Mm -hmm. I, because that really makes the argument in my head, my goodness. Mm -hmm. um, wow. Well, and uh, one of one of the many arguments that have been uh, used by those opposing the, the, the U.S. signing on to the Convention on the Rights of the Child is uh, that religious some religious communities uh, believe their religion that, that uh, how do I want to say this? The Convention on the Rights of the Child prohibits the use of uh, physical violence against children, that uh, uh, children should not be reprimanded uh, by uh, physical acts of, of violence. And there have been uh, Christian religious communities that have said that would violate uh, our right as Christians to rear our children as we believe they should be uh, reared. And that is often quoted as one of the primary reasons uh, why uh, there is not political will, sufficient mm -hmm. political will in the US uh, to ratify uh, the Convention on the Rights of the Child. Wow. Know what and, yeah. And so, I, yeah. I, again, I, I think we are seeing in our current religious and political environment a resurgence, particularly from uh, some Christian communities that. Uh, they have a religious right to exclude, <laughs> to hate, uh, to marginalize. Right. And uh, the, the seeds of that uh, are historic and uh, are reflected in the, in the history of human rights instruments. Well, I also want to bring in, yeah, Michael. Sid, I just wanted to ask a question. Uh, that graphic that you showed on justice and charity was very helpful to kind of flesh those um, two uh, twin items out for this uh, faith principle. But I was just wondering in terms of practical things that we can do um, to advance these things, whether it's through interfaith action or other things, I was wondering what recommendations you might have for us. 
Well, uh, first of all, let me say that uh, interfaith action uh, has not engaged substantively in uh, works of charity uh, because uh, our faith communities that are engaged with us uh, do an awesome job of, of providing a direct uh, charity. Now there's one uh, exception, I would say that our annual celebration of the harvest and the harvesters in which we collect beans and rice and toiletries is an expression of charity, mm-hmm. but it is that Jewish concept of tzedakah, which is uh, 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 charity that is leading towards uh, justice. So it engages folks in understanding mm-hmm. uh, injustice that is experienced by migrant workers. And so allows, I guess, a spirit of tenderness to flourish so that the work of justice can begin. Uh, for example, last year at the celebration of a, a harvest and harvesters, uh, there was a petition for people to sign to encourage our elected officials uh, to reinstate driver's licenses for uh, undocumented uh, migrant workers. So an example of something concrete uh, uh, that could be be done. Um, um, uh, Our uh, work in advancing uh, public policy that reduces gun violence is another uh, example of uh, justice type of work that uh, uh, we are advancing. And that also can be connected uh, to uh, the uh, international bill of uh, human rights with its principle that one should be able to live in security and uh, safety. Uh, again, the uh, Buffalo uh, murders uh, with uh, unregulated uh, a long arm uh, is testimony to this epidemic of uh, gun violence in our, our country. And um, state of Michigan is in an identical situation in which universal background checks are required uh, for pistols or handguns, but are not uh, required for uh, long guns. Uh, so again, Ill- illustrating the type of justice-oriented work that uh, we are doing, whether one thinks of it as people of faith who are uh, peacemakers and looking to promote uh, peaceful, safe societies, or whether one is adhering to uh, uh, internationally recognized human rights law that everyone has a right to live in safety and security. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like there's plenty of need um, for action. Uh, 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 yes, and uh, uh, the, the one area that I haven't uh, touched on, which is, is a part of this uh, principle, uh, is also uh, environmental justice. And, um, and, and again, our call as people of faith uh, to be committed uh, not just to uh, efforts of justice for human beings, but efforts of justice for the totality of uh, creation. And again, that's something that's not been recognized to date in uh, uh, the Universal Declaration of uh, Human Rights. Uh, The closest instrument we had to that was the uh, Paris uh, Climate uh, Accords. Uh, which uh, again are 
not uh, yet a robust international uh, uh, covenant. It is still a loose affiliation of commitments. Thank you. Okay. Oh, there we go. Um, okay. Can everyone hear me? Am I? Am I? Yep. Okay. Um, I didn't want to express this. I feel like I have half a thought here and was trying to complete it before I expressed it. But then again, maybe that's what discussion is for. Is to, so, um, Paul, forgive me, said with the, with the concept of the, oh gosh, the Jewish tzedakah, is it? Is that and tzedakah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, kind of framed it as um, works of charity uh, can't come without works of justice. And oftentimes they do, you know, charity is uh, the more common action taking place. But I'm just wondering about the opposite relationship of works of justice not coming how they relate with works of charity specifically. So my example was um, the reason I was thinking of it because with our non-discrimination ordinance in Three Oaks, they passed last year, um, was successful, but then it, it, it's in place and that's um, you know a, a just policy. But then how can works of charity relate to how am I how am I trying to think of this? I, it, it, it's 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 codified right in, in our in our code of ordinances. However, it's not been um, as far as we know needed yet. So how how do we interact with that? So as uh, you know, as, as, as people of faith in our particular community interact with that act of justice uh, in terms of our our charity. Does that, does that make sense? Does that? Yeah, it, it does <laughs> very very much okay, so. Okay. And it connects to me on, uh, you know, the uh, Jewish uh, scriptures uh, with the, the verse of let justice roll down like mighty waters and not just stay up in kind of the, the heavens as this yeah. great commitment. But then also uh, uh, in, in doing, uh, for example, migration work in the United States and also in uh, Mexico, uh, Mexico is known for having exemplary uh, human rights commitments embodied in their law, uh, human rights commitments that put the United States to shame. Now, those human rights commitments are typically never applied in a pragmatic way. So the rhetoric or the, the policy framework is there but the practical application doesn't happen. In the US, uh, the uh, theoretical or legal framework is missing, but the practical application is more robust than it is in uh, Mexico. So this is, I, th I think the ongoing challenge that uh, uh, first we need the, in many cases, the legal framework uh, so that uh, those who are victims of injustice have a remedy. Um, civil rights law, for the first time, people could bring uh, civil rights complaints to the courses, to the courts. Uh, but again, uh, without education as to civil rights, uh, many individuals uh, don't know that they have a practical remedy uh, to their life experiences of discrimination. Uh, and it, it also, Joe, clarifies why in June, we're going to be uh, releasing uh, kind of pragmatic guides to being an inclusive faith community for those faith communities who have a policy of inclusion to say, okay, you got the policy. Now, how are you practicing uh, what you're preaching? And also doing the same uh, to guide congregations in becoming anti-racist congregations, recognizing that many of them have done a, a, a study program 
to understand anti-racism. Uh, so there's an educational commitment, but, but what's the action commitment? Uh, how is it manifest in kind of everyday life? So a, a, a good question and, and, and something that shows uh, the totality of our work needs to be done. And, and again, that's within the, the, the human right, the global uh, human rights uh, situation. Uh, um, for example, a couple years ago, there was a, a situation of uh, immigrants in Michigan who were arbitrarily detained and human rights attorneys took their cases uh, to the International Human Rights Court and filed a complaint uh, alleging the arbitrary detention of these individuals. The International Human Rights Court uh, concluded that the US government in Michigan uh, was guilty of arbitrary detention. Now, uh, since the US <laughs> is not a ratifier of the court, it had no legal impact on those arbitrarily detained individuals, but it did illustrate to them that there was a judicial body that determined uh, what the US government was doing to them was illegal in an international court of law. Uh, so again, again, the illustration of why the laws are important, but then also looking at the application of uh, the laws uh, so that compliance is assured. Larry, I noticed you. your hand up as well. Um, Larry, did you have something you wanted to add? I, yes, I, I, I do. First of all, thanks, Sid. Um, as, as always, um, you have much wisdom to pass on and uh, much knowledge to share, so appreciate it. One of the things that's complicated, though, I think, is that um, people's definitions of what is justice um, are often different. So for example, in the, the Catholic conference, one of their um, core um, commitments uh, to justice is protecting the rights of the unborn with no mention of protecting the rights of the mother. What are your thoughts about how to reconcile that when two different perspectives clash. Well, uh, uh, and, and again, this is somewhat akin to the opposition by some religious communities to the International Convention on the Rights of the Child. Uh, uh, don't tell us uh, we can't use a, a physical punishment against our children. Uh, that is our religious uh, right. Uh, when in fact, the body of international human rights law is to give us a clear understanding of the baseline of justice and that anything that doesn't meet that baseline of uh, justice uh, should be considered to have an arbitrary uh, basis. Uh, uh, so that uh, the convention uh, against the, uh, the the convention against discrimination against women uh, does not uh, reference uh, 
what the Catholic Church's position on abortion would be. It references that the, the, the choice rights of women, for example, which again uh, helps explain why the US has not signed or ratified uh, that agreement. So it, it's why I have found this international body of human rights law, of human rights commitments to be so valuable because uh, it does define that baseline of common good, common dignity, uh, common uh, rights. Uh, and that uh, suggests that if there is a perspective that doesn't apply to the global community's uh, understanding of justice, uh, it should be treated uh, with some suspicion and that uh, uh, that non-compliant position should be a voluntary position for individuals to hold, but not a part of a body of law. Does that help at all? Um, yes, um, but part of the problem is that um, where individuals have a strongly different perspective on, for example, in addition to the one I gave, um, the rights of migrants, the, the fact that um, the Bible so often says, and, and the Jewish Bible says it more than anything else, um, be kind to the stranger for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Um, and yet we have this very, scary and increasingly strong group of people in our country, including apparently the guy who did the shooting in Buffalo, um, who take the position that migrants are a threat and we should do everything up to and including shooting them in order to prevent them from, quote, replacing mm -hmm. white people. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, this, I, th I think, as you so ably articulated, is where our, our faith literature <laughs> uh, presents a very contrary view. And, and not only does our faith literature present that contrary view, but it's also supported by uh, international human rights perspectives. So uh, one can argue from uh, both a, a sectarian as well as a secular uh, uh, perspective, uh, or to say that uh, uh, human rights law and uh, faith-based uh, values correlate on many of these key issues. Something, if I could add, um, that, that this made me think of was actually our uh, interfaith action, our fourth principle, which we're talking about next session. Um, and uh, if, you, if you wouldn't mind, maybe I'll just read it real quickly, um, which says to be effective communities of faith, we provide opportunities to encounter one another, particularly those different from us, Amidst this encounter, we underscore our common life symbolized by a common table to which all are welcomed with inclusion. This encounter require, requires us to slow down for dialogue, to ensure mutual respect, to promote rational facts, and to express an openness to the views of others. Um, we understand community as the reality in which amidst our differences, we are guided by a common commitment to promoting human dignity and 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 ending suffering. Um, I think your question was deeper than just like 
we need to do more dialogue. <laughs> um, I, but I, I um, something that stuck out from actually our talk tonight and also this principle is that um, we can talk to one another, but the end of those discussions has to be the common good, not a private good of a group, such as a group that would advocate for replacement theory that would preference one group over another. Um, and again, is a, is, a, is a conversation, a dialogue gonna be valuable in this kind of situation you described? Uh, maybe not sometimes. Um, but it is, it is true that I think faith-based communities have a, a certain kind of commitment to slowing down, listening, sharing, um, even when that is uh, maybe, maybe the contrary position uh, to many, but I don't think that's anything. Your question is much deeper than that, but that's what it made me think of. Uh, yeah, Larry, just a, 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 a somewhat uh, humorous aside on kind of this conundrum that you presented uh, amidst the debate on uh, same-sex marriage. I uh, heard someone, you know, exclaiming that uh, uh, gay marriages should uh, not be permitted uh, at all. And I heard a respondent uh, say, well, if you're opposed to gay marriage, then don't marry another gay person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it kind of says, you know, uh, uh, you have that uh, individual right not to marry uh, a person of the same sex, but you don't have the right to deny that of someone else. Yeah. Now, again, that's a, 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 a simplistic retort, but there is some element of wisdom in it. Yeah, actually, um, the, the gay marriage situation is a good example of what you were talking about, Steve, people of different perspectives dialoguing and finding out that, uh, well, we disagree about a lot of things, but uh, we actually agree about this. So you had a um, senior Democratic lawyer and a senior Republican lawyer coming together um, to represent the folks, uh, the gay folks who wanted to get married and succeeded in getting the Supreme Court to agree with them. Those, those people disagree about a lot of things, but they, they figured out that they agreed about the, that this should be legal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's... I appreciate that because it also, uh, for me, um, just reiterates that there is hope, especially maybe even remembering our own stories of a time when I changed my mind on an issue that, you know, today would say no one would change their minds um, on this or that, but that there is, there is room for conversations that lead to transformation. Um, so, yeah, thank you, Larry. But it is also well, past and, seven. And, so last, last thought, Sid. <laughs> Yeah, just to say that uh, we must be vigilant in our work towards transformative uh, uh, justice and that uh, um, as, as we've been commenting on same-sex marriage rights, we're also reminded that uh, uh, Rick Scott of uh, Florida in his 10 uh, principles for his Republican platform uh, includes the reversal of same-sex marriage uh, rights. Now that's uh, a rhetorical statement, but just that uh, again, as communities of faith, uh, our, our justice work is ongoing, uh, and even when uh, justice is uh, secured, uh, it needs to be tended uh, so that its permanency uh, is provided. And that's why we kind of need each other in, in this uh, uh, work, so that uh, because justice work is 
longer term, more frustrating, more challenging uh, than the work of uh, charity and why uh, our collective is so critical uh, towards that end. Amen. Amen. Sid, thank you so much for this wonderful reflection and time uh, together. And thank you all for, for joining us this evening for this conversation. Um, before we leave, I want to let you know that uh, our next program is at the end of June, June 27th. It's a Monday night at 6 p.m., just like this one. And we'll be talking about our fourth Interfaith Action Principle with Steve Sakala and uh, Sid, Sid Mona again. So, um, but thank you all for joining us this evening and uh, hope you enjoy the, the nice weather the remainder of the week. Thank you. Thanks, thank you very much. Well done.